cut. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown to one. Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Who in the blue hell are you? You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scrub. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Sandos and the sidekick back with you as we get ready for an exciting podcast. Uh, uh, we're going to talk, believe it or not, Portal Watch. Yes, we are. Portal Watch, how about Crazy Coach just showing up right before the show this starts crazy and completely taking all of your attention from what we're doing. That was fantastic. Yeah, but we're still... we still just hung up on him, which is not good when you're talking about a crazy person like Crazy well, Coach. No, he has got some issues, which is... which is what, well, and, and hopefully fell down so I've got a couple of Crazy Coach quotes. Uh, that we can get going a little bit later on. But uh, uh, we will talk ETSU football uh, on several fronts. Number one, we'll talk about the, the game and the win versus Western Carolina. That's not what you're excited to talk about, though. Then we're going to talk about <laughs> the news that dropped yesterday. Uh, the season is over in what was the worst-kept secret of a team that didn't want to play a year but was forced into playing and how the SOCON, I, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Uh, so we can go over that as well, and then we got a little bold prediction recap to sort of wrap things. I feel up. like we maybe should just have a whole segment where you just try and sort through all your emotions on that news that dropped yesterday. Really a bombshell. Well, I've, I've also thought too, maybe seeing if Gene Henley would would give us um, some time on the podcast. He's done that before, and just see he spent more time obviously reporting, knew it was coming, <clears throat> had talked about it a lot. About and and because he had been singing the well, is it really a championship? And I'm like, well, yes, it really is. And I couldn't figure out why he kind of was taking that stance. And then then I started hearing rumors that maybe Chattanooga just want to play four games. And then you know, talking to other people, they said they try to convince the league not to play at all, and they just didn't want to play. And then uh, I heard the league stepped in and said, no, you are going to play. And then basically he gave me the, yeah, we'll play four games. And they said, no, you're going to play for the schedule. And then lo and behold, magically they play four games and cancel the rest of the season. So uh, my, I guess my ultimate point is it's, it's sort of if you know there's a known thing, right, like they don't want to play. They just I don't know if it's just the staff, the player, whatever, they don't want to play. You know, I can't speak for everybody because, again, that's where I'd like to see if maybe Gene Henley could just shed some light on thought process and stuff. But I guarantee uh, you it's not everything. There's young guys on that team well, that would love to go out there. You and get some only money. have so so that's always been my argument. Like when guys in the NBA and you've played, you're LeBron and you've played in stupid number of consecutive playoff games, and you want to take a two week break somewhere down. I get that. I mean, you've been playing 15, but when you're in college and there is no guarantee of any pro or tomorrow or whatever, I don't get why guys want to sit out. Now, this sit out is different because you're opting out. There's some health things. I don't know everybody's personal health issues i certainly don't know if they have family members that have health issues so i get like i'm opting out to um health safety this if you're opting out because you're like you know i really just don't want to play in spring because i feel like it's it's really not a championship that i have to question a lot of like what in the world are you doing like do you like like randy sanders has said on the 
radio. Like, I don't know anybody that just does wind sprints to do wind sprints or just do workouts. Like, don't you do all this to play games? Like, is as a player, don't you just want to play? Why do you just want to practice? You don't know the individual cases. I don't know the individual individual cases, which is why we don't want to be too judgmental. I think what your main point is just the timing makes it seem like this is a calculated move that was premeditated. Yeah, absolutely. And does not consider I, the there is cases. no. There was no way that this wasn't a part of the plan. You could see it coming. I think I predicted it a, a few weeks ago internally to some folks. I was like, there's no way they're going to play our game. And I didn't know if it would – when they would do it. I was just sure they weren't going to get to our game. I didn't know they would, you know, cancel the other two games before our games. I'm not going to sit here and say I, I knew that was coming. But I had a feeling the ETSU game and, and maybe the team they were going to play right before that, like that wasn't going to make. I thought maybe they played one more week, but – I kept hearing. Didn't even try to cover it up. Just four well, games, like, oh, we're done. The and, Monday after. And, and what's odd is he was the one, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Rusty Wright was the one that tried to push a four-game SOCON spring only. Don't don't compete for a champ, which I can't fathom. Don't compete for a championship. Don't compete for the playoffs. Don't compete for a national title. Let's just play four scrimmages. I guess you call them games. And then everybody's ready for the fall. And I get, like, you don't want to lose people in the spring for the fall. I mean, ETSU's already lost one. I don't know if he would have played, you know, with the quarterback position of Cade Larkins. I don't know, you know, if he would have gotten a shot during this time, if he was still behind everybody that's played quarterback, which we still have to get to when we get to our game breakdown. I don't know if any of that, but he's the only one so far that had been injured enough in the spring that he will not play in the fall. And I get that that is a concern. And I will say that there was the starting center for Chattanooga, not the Mercer game the game before that, got hurt. And I don't know how bad. And then I don't know if that led to the 19 guys, which I thought was also interesting. They benched 19 starters for the game against Mercer, yeah, and he played did. almost all freshmen, which I'm like, okay, you give them a live Southern Conference. I get Like, ETSU did that with Carl Torbush because we had all freshmen. Like, we didn't have anybody else. And so at some point it was like we've got to get these two some experience this first year. Like, we have to have – everybody play because everyone has to know because the next season we are somehow competing in the Southern Conference a year before we probably should compete in the Southern Conference. If you haven't checked a lot of those scores in 2017, it appeared we should not have competed in the Southern Conference. And, yes, we did pick up two wins. But still, in the same token, like, it was still sort of in certain matchups men against boys. Um, I mean, again, the Wofford game, they didn't even cross midfield. So, very – I'm not confused. I knew this was a possibility, a very real – I mean, people in Chattanooga, when they came here for basketball and we went there, it was very much talked about that they were going to figure out a way. Not, I mean, they basically didn't play the first game because they weren't ready to play, so they missed the VMI game. Now, the implications are going to be interesting because it appears the Southern Conference has come out and just said, well, this is like basketball. So if you've got more games played, then you win. The interesting part of that is there are other leagues. Um, I think it was just – um, the NEC had just come out and said, yep, we're going to play our de facto championship game with 4-0 Duquesne and 2-1 Sacred Heart on April 11th. That is basically going to be for the automatic berth, and uh, we'll see what happens. So that's one of the things that I think mostly what I'm thinking about in this situation is exactly that because that's what affects ETSU, right? Like, you go and beat VMI this week. Should that happen? not going to be easy, right, on the road, never an easy place for ETSU to play. They've struggled up there, regardless of day play and regardless of circumstances. It's been tough, and VMI is a very good football team. Randy Sanders finally divulged to you on the post-game show after the game Saturday that, hey, when I was talking about a couple weeks ago on the coach's show, 
you know, I thought there was one team that was the best in the league. I wasn't going to say it then. I'll say it now. It was VMI, who I was talking about. And lo and behold, 5-0. and Still haven't lost a game. They've made unbelievable steps over the last couple of years. And, again, we'll talk more about that on our Thursday, Friday show whenever we end up having it. But now you look at the scenario, and it's pretty easy to lay out, right? You go and beat VMI. You move to 4-1. and VMI would then be 5-1. and Well, VMI only plays one more game because they lost the Chattanooga game, as have the Bucks, And it's at the Citadel. Or is it home to the Citadel? I think it's at home. Home to the Citadel, who lost at home to Sanford by 48 points. And I already had a chance to talk with Scott Wackenheim from VMI, and of course he did the head coach thing, right? Like, well, we're not taking that game lightly. At the end of the year, Citadel has had some odd situations, injuries, et cetera, but they're a much better team than they've showed, so on and so forth, right? And of course there's a rivalry there. You know, you just throw the records out, all the cliches that you want to put in there. But if they beat the Citadel, they're 6-1, and one, and ETSU goes and beats Mercer, which is not going to be an easy game either. 6 p.m. night game down in Macon. They do that, they're 5-1. and one. And there's a half game difference. And winning percentage comes in. If it's just like basketball, then ETSU, regardless of the fact that they went on the road, took care of business, and beat what is now a top-10 team in the country in VMI in their home stadium. And if they would have had the game against Chattanooga and won, right, no one's saying it was a walkover, no one's saying it's a sure thing, but they at least would have had the chance to improve to 6-1 and one as well. And in that scenario where ETSU has already beaten VMI, they hold the tiebreak. And they go on to the NCAA playoffs, they take the regular season championship. And obviously reap the benefits of that going to the national tournament for the second time in three years. So, yeah, that's where I paid most attention to it. And that was exactly what I was talking to a couple people about yesterday after this news broke. Like, it would have been great, again, we've said this with basketball and now with football. If the Southern Conference would have built in some kind of buffer week, just in case, and it would have come in handy in basketball, and it would have come in handy in football, where you could have, maybe it's a championship game, maybe it's just make-up games to make sure that all things are equal in the Southern Conference. But they didn't do it. And well, now the NCAA playoffs here, start, what, the week after the regular season? Here's the only argument ag- against football basketball is basketball eventually played a tournament. So no matter what, True. everybody got in the tournament. Everybody had a shot to win. Yes, um, Wofford could be mad that they were a game and a half behind and or a half game or whatever. They can get some games in. But they were the two seed, and they played the seven seed. And they blew a lead. Actually, I think they came from behind, took the lead, and still lost. So I don't get – like I get basketball because there is a tournament. So sometimes some of those games is not the end of the world because – you still have to win three games. And Wofford didn't even win one of the three games. So if they would have been the one seed, would they have rolled through everybody else? My argument would be no, not really, because, again, they lost to the seven seed. So the basketball is an easier sell for me on, well, let's just do this, because eventually you're going to play in a tournament. And, yes, you could argue over, well, if we had the Sanford games, we would have been the three seed. Well, okay, great. But you still are going to have to win three games. And you still have a chance to win it on the field. In football, you do not have a chance to win it on the field if two games are canceled for one team and one is another. And to be fair, I would make the same argument if ETSU would have played the extra game and VMI would have been on the other foot because I still believe in football. You know, VMI would have beat ETSU and it been only ETSU's loss. And ETSU would have been 6-1 and one, and if VMI would be 5-1. and one, I mean, it's really tough to look at somebody beat you head to head and go, "Well, you know, we played that extra game against somebody that 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 Agreed. settles it." It it is tough. It's tough to to figure out that that scenario again. Basketball for me, I, 
I get it. Yes, Walford, if they would have got an extra Sanford game in, they would have had the tiebreaker versus UNCG. More than likely, the way Sanford ended the year, they would have beat Sanford. They would have been the share of a regular season champions, would have been the number one seed. But, again, they still had a chance to win the My thing. point is, though, what does it hurt to have something prepared just in case? What is the argument against that? I, I mean, I, I don't have an argument against that. I mean, what's the benefit in just saying, all right, well, we're going to pretend this is a year that is like every other year and nothing's going to go wrong. Well, I, I, a year know, where everything's gone wrong. <laughs> it, it goes back to sort of the people were mad that Citadel played four games in the fall and it was going to be this disadvantage. Well, the disadvantage is Citadel has been stinky ever since they played the four games, right? Like playing those four games gave them no strategical advantage. All it did was help their program with money. Right, and I think that's the only thing you can look at um, is that financially they did things for them, but on the field did did it? I mean, maybe maybe it'll show next year, but it didn't show in the spring that all you know playing against this high level. So they moved things for the Citadel. Well, then they knew Chattanooga didn't want to play. Well, they didn't want to go with the seven game schedule because somebody was afraid they would have four home games and three home games. And how unfair is that? My argument is, but now you put yourself because you made a team tried to force a team to play it didn't want to play. And they checkmate you because you can't, whether you like COVID and opt-outs or not or whatever position group or whatever happened down there, which I still don't know what happened. Because the report is two position groups just said, by gosh, we're not playing anymore. Okay, was that the coaching staff working with those guys to get them to do that? Was it those guys saying, well, I got benched and you played these other guys anyways and we got beat, so I don't want to play for you. I don't want to play anymore this year. We are going to go. Whether it was forced one way or another, they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish they didn't play a whole year. They end up hosing two or three different teams, and now you're still stuck with games not being played in which the Southern Conference, I think, could have said, fine, we'll cut some chairs or whatever. You get a little less money here or there, but you don't have to play. And then everybody else just sucks it up, and you play the seven games and you figure it out. That's what other leagues have done when a team has opted out. But it didn't happen that way. So here's a question now, and maybe, again, you've said it. It's already been answered, but – what do you do to equalize this playing field now? Because like you said, if ETSU goes on the road and beats VMI this weekend, and again, a game we'll talk about later in the week, but that's going to be a close competitive game, as everyone is, for ETSU if they find a way to win by one score instead of losing by one score, right? I mean, it's <laughs> that's what it's going to come down to. It certainly, it seems that way. It's a pretty simple breakdown. How do you look at Randy Sanders and his team and say, you know, that extra win? Well, you didn't have a chance to play that game. The first time when you were supposed to play Wofford, they get COVID, right? And there's nothing that's done there to try and move schedules around. And maybe people did try in the back end at the league office, and it didn't work out. Okay, that's one, right? You know, VMI and Chattanooga had their one, too. And again, with how things have gone in Chattanooga this year, the motivation behind it, what exactly went down behind the scenes, don't know, but that game wasn't played either. But then you have the second one, and again, it's Chattanooga that's involved, and just nothing is going to happen to ETSU in order to try and make this at least have some semblance of fairness. Like, I, I don't I don't know. And if there are tons of concerns within Chattanooga's program about, look, White House is saying COVID's got a fourth spike coming or whatever. And those are legitimate health concerns. Okay, cool, get it. But again, with all the timing, 
with how the mood and tenor has seemed over the last number of months in Chattanooga with this entire thing, it seems hard to believe. So what now can the Southern Conference do? Is there anything? And I, I don't think there's anything. And because here's the deal, again, if it's basketball and you say uh, – because the season ends where it does for men's basketball or for football, it's the seventeenth, right? You got to you got to turn around and play next Saturday. It's not like you can say, "Well, okay, boys, we're going to let you on Tuesday or Wednesday play another game." Like you can't can't do that. You could maybe do that in basketball, but you certainly can't do it in football. Here's the other problem: if you tell Wofford, "Hey, you got to make up that game with ETSU on Tuesday or Wednesday," and they're playing for nothing, they're going to look at you and go, "We're not playing that game." Sure. Right? Like what? What, what, in, the, what, right. what in the world yeah, are we right. doing that for? Right. So there's really Nothing, you know, you could do unless – I mean, the only other thing, I guess, may, I don't know, do you play another – because what happened in this Decane uh, uh, Sacred Heart is they actually played a regular season game versus one another. And they're the two best teams, the best record, 4-0 and 2-1. And, and they said, we're making a championship game. Do you on the 17th go, you know what, Correct. BMI, ETSU, run it That's back. Right. Or, and let's say this, what if ETSU were to drop um, the two games? And they got two games, you know, and or, – or, or, well, I'm just trying to think of a good scenario where there's a three-team some somehow in there. I don't know that it would happen. But is there a situation where it could be somebody else? And they're like, all right, uh, maybe VMI, ETSU beats VMI. Then Berman, some, they still have two losses. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. ETSU. Yeah, uh, you know, that's if ETSU had two losses. Yeah, you're right. But I don't think VMI can't get the two losses. There's no way to do that. So, sure. so ETSU, right. it would have to be ETSU beats VMI. Then ETSU beats Mercer, who, by the way, people are just yada yada right now. And they're playing some pretty good football, oh, too. Yeah. So, uh, it, and both games are on the road for ETSU. So, ETSU, uh, you know, could argue, you know, we go on the road, we win, we win. It's, but then you're like, eh, you lost to Furman at home. VMI beat Furman at home. And then you go to Con- – so, I mean, it's just – And maybe it won't matter. It, it may not matter I think at all. I think is probably hoping to that's, brain. That's all that – all, right now, it's the hope and wish. We hope and wish that this goes exactly the way we want it to. Which is what they've done for the entire 2020-21 season when it comes to especially these big sports. Um, I think that you're spot on with the one thing that they can do. Do you think Citadel would really argue if you went to him and said, hey, look, you know, we got a situation here. Now, Citadel's relationship hasn't exactly been smooth football-wise with the Southern Conference this year either, but you don't got to play this last game in a tough year, obviously. We need to get in a de facto championship game between ETSU and VMI. We're going to play that in the 17th. Your game's off. Is it an ultimate power play if ETSU beats VMI and Citadel the week of says, you know what, we may not be able to beat you on the field, but I can cost you a championship. We're not playing. <laughs> Could that be the ultimate power play? Oh, wow. Would the VMI people that are uh, making fun of ETSU fans for being upset about this, would then they turn around and be upset about this? Everybody's going to be mad, I think, yeah. at some point. What so are we I talking about to start with? Are we talking? I don't know. Let's take a break and regroup. How about that? All right. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge.
Sanderson, a sidekick, now finally going to talk ETSU Western Carolina. And uh, I guess you have to start with a quarterback change. That was one of those where kind of heard some murmurs it was going to happen. And then as the week got along, it was uh, confirmed of us uh, to us before we went on air. And then we, you know, kept it as clean as we could until, you know, they told the lineups out on the speaker. And then it's like, oh, well, yeah, by the way, <laughs> Brock Lane is starting quarterback. So, um, you know, he was asked to do what probably if me or you were the quarterback to do. Turn around and find number one, find number eight, hand it to him, let the offense line go to work, and 350 yards rushing later. And, uh, you know, first two 100-yard rushers since the, I guess it was Gardner-Webb. Yeah. Still wasn't as many rushing yards as they had against uh, Mercer. I think it was like 400 last yeah. year against Mercer. But still, it was like second the second most, most yeah. right? Second most rushing yards since uh, Randy Sanders has been there. Yeah, and what really hurt was sort of the end of the game, just a couple of handoffs just to end it instead of taking knees, I think really killed some of the, some of the averages of things that were going on. But still, just some gaudy numbers on the ground. And talking to West Carolina's crew, um, Gary Ayers, Daniel Hooker, and those guys, and they were like, well, if you, don't, if you do anything other than hand it off, you've not watched any of the game film because we can't years. stop anybody <laughs> running at any time. And even if we're ahead, just keep running the football. And ETSU's down 17-7, and sure enough, that's what they did. They just turned around and had 22 straight runs in the game and just imposed their will and what they should do. And I thought it was interesting to hear Coach Sanders' post-game comments where he talked about guys going through the motion. And it was like, you know, if you practice where you're not trying to drive a guy fall and you just kind of pop up and stand him up because there's a scout team and he's your buddy, then what happens is you fall back on your habits, and then you try to do that, and then you get uh, your butt kicked, although you use some other words. But still, I thought that was interesting to change the lineman's tr- um, kind of thought process of practice. And it was interesting to hear, like, listen, you know, we all fall back on habits, and the more you do them, that's why we do drills. That's why you do this. That's why coaches harp on this, because you get in the stadium, you get whatever, and, and your mind's racing, and the blood's flowing, and mad and you're yelling at the other guy and whatever then you fall back on things that you know you know that's what makes great shooters that's what makes great whatever he's like it's the same thing with the offensive line and so he's like you know i didn't have to say anything really to the guys after the citadel game um i heard coach mccutcheon uh really really broke down some film for some guys and circled and highlighted some guys when they got hammered and beat off the ball and uh, said it was an unhappy room as i walked by it and uh and i believe it changed now yes was it a perfect storm to get the catamounts? But, yes, can you build off that? Can you realize, yes, if we just push this much, those guys go to work, my life's a lot easier instead of sitting there having to pass block for three, four seconds or whatever, and VMI is going to blitz. That's what they do. We'll talk about that on Thursday. That is their MO. They're going to come downhill and try to make the quarterback as uncomfortable as possible. They're going to try to confuse the line. They're going to try to hit. I mean, they had like nine sacks against Furman. You know, Furman's got a decent line if you look at the, the games there. ETSU also very good at sacks. So is VMI. It's going to be very interesting. But I think it all started with the offensive line and getting them. Forget about the running backs. We know what they can do. I thought this game was more about getting the offensive line back to what they wanted the offensive line to be. It will be interesting to see how much of that is the level of competition up front. Because, again, for the better part of the last two decades, this has been Western Carolina in terms of stopping the run. So you break down game film now, back in 2006, anywhere in between, it seems like this is what you're going to get. The holes that Quay Holmes, Jacob Sailors had to run through, and yes, 
they were able to break some tackles, make some guys miss, but Western Carolina is not a good tackling team. ETSU was able to shove anybody around that they wanted to. I mean, 350 yards is a massive number. I'm not sure that I've seen 22 straight runs to end a game, but I loved Coach Sanders' postgame. I, I kept thinking I wanted to throw in a, a pass play here or there, and then I stopped and said, why? And it was perfectly said. Why would you do it? Because to me it seemed like what he was trying to do, and this I actually kind of liked, right? You got a new quarterback. It felt to me, even when it was 17-7, to and call me delusional, maybe I am, but it felt like the game was always in ETSU's control. I know you're down 10, but it was relatively early. The only thing that was costing you were boneheaded plays, right? I mean, Elijah Huzzy, young mistake on special teams, right? You had that turnover right when you need to stop, and that kind of delayed what I thought was the inevitable. There was going to be a momentum shift. If he is able to catch that punt or just lets it go or whatever the case may be, you probably move down the field again, and then you're up, and Western Carolina is not a team that is built to come from behind, though. And Coach Sanders said this. They were surprised that Ryan Glover came out and threw it. I was, too. I mean, I not openly mocked and ridiculed by any means, but I think I naysayed a bit that – what there was Billy, some scoffing. Well, there was a little scoffing. What Billy Taylor said and what Randy Sanders said, hey, watch out for this quarterback. You know, like, he, he's got a big arm, and he's shown some things. And I look at the stats, and I'm like, gosh, he's thrown for, like, 85 yards a game, guys. Yeah, they started uh, – but I will say that he threw, like, no balls the first game. Then the second game, he, he it was like a screen or something. And then the Mercer game, all of a sudden, they're at least taking shots down the field. So they have progressed it, mm-hmm. but I'm still shocked. Again – it wasn't like I sat here, too, and was like, oh, you know what they're going to do first part of the game, Mike Gallagher? Seven to first nine plays passes. No, no. And then pushing the ball down the field passes, too. Well, like, I thought they were going to take one or two shots, and they certainly took more than that and got a nice touchdown on the first you know, first series of the game. Well, shame on me, because he started like 13 for 16 for 157 or something. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really impressive. You know, I mean, they threw it, yeah, what, like? Was it five of the seven plays? He was the perfect five for five, and he had the touchdown. And he even made that – what was the throw on that third down that led to the trick play touchdown? Like, I love that for Mark Spear in Western Carolina. You get this miraculous third down conversion that really you'd think nine out of ten times you're not getting. Might as well go for the jugular or as much of the jugular as you can get that early in a game, and they did, and it succeeded. But it never felt to me like this game was not within ETSU's reach. And so I think what Coach was trying to do – or those 22 straight runs, right? Like, let's see what Brock can do in the passing game. Give him more than five throws in the game like he had earlier this year. We've seen him in practice. We know what he can do at the junior college level. But have we really given him a big enough sample size to understand when the lights are on, what he's going to be? So I liked that. But when it came down to winning time, enough screwing around, let's go right after this weak run defense. And, I mean, 136 for Taylor's, 197 for Holmes. Ridiculous. I say this. All I was told was he's not the runner of the group, but he, he certainly could put his head down and run over people. I thought it was impressive because his first bootleg of the game, he probably had a chance in trying to force a throw to Wilson. He probably had a chance to pick up eight or ten yards running the ball. Well, a bootleg in the third quarter, I think he discovered the same thing. He boots. He looks out. Yeah, I could try to force one in here, or I could just tell the tight end in a flat, hey, block this guy, and he ended up picking up 15 yards. So, I, I – think very quickly he adjusted to some of that. It looked like to me, and I'll have to ask Coach uh, uh, Raider, maybe Coach Sanders, one of these guys, about the couple of the quarterback plays. Were they design runs or did he check to them? Was that a deal? But they did run like a quarterback counter and a power one time. And so, again, those were things I didn't really 
expect to see. I mean, we we know if you watch him in warm-ups, I mean, he, he can chuck a ball down the field. He's got that ability. His number's junior college. I mean, they just – they're there. You know, can he digest everything that they want to do? Now, if they can continue to run the ball, then I think it is going to be easier for Landis to do some play action, do some things. I thought it was interesting when Wilson went out of the game. We don't we won't have any injury updates till Wednesday, so by Thursday show, hopefully we'll have some. But I thought it was interesting they went a lot more too tight in general. But they actually would split the tight ends in the slots and run routes with them, which I thought was interesting because West Carolina was still in the base defense. And I love any time the base defense is going against Nate Atkins in the whole West. <laughs> I feel like that is a win for ETSU. And so we'll see if that changes down the road for teams, if they maybe adjust on a third down situation with those guys on the field. First and second, you got to respect because ETSU does run the ball and want to run the ball that I think you have to respect the base defense there. I'm wondering on third and long, though, if they go with the, the two slots being the tight ends, if they'll continue to do that or if a team may adjust and say, you know what, on third and long, we're going to go ahead and put that extra. Yeah, your guy's bigger than me, but I have a better cover guy maybe. So we'll, we'll see. And he did, th- he did thread one needle uh, on a third down play to, to I think it was West, uh, for a first down. So he was able to do that. But, yes, I'll be curious moving forward, you know, so, similar to Glover, will they open up the offense a little more? Will they let him throw a little more? Will we see what everyone else is seeing? That's a very interesting point, especially considering the fact that Glover was the other quarterback in this game. Because what it sounded like to me in the post game was that Coach Sanders went to Brock Landis so he could run zone read. It wasn't so he could throw the ball. It wasn't so he could – be a different threat in the air and maybe it was the perfect time for it right because Western Carolina was so weak on that run defense but I think he said that it was what like 18 to 22 yards or whatever if he could get that in the zone read game Brock Landis we're going to be in really good shape running the ball he ends up getting 34 on eight carries and that touchdown uh, on the uh, first drive that ETSU scored on but it was so interesting to hear that like Tyler Idell, we know he can move with his feet, right? But can he do the zone read game? Like, you, and maybe he can, but typically you're going to want a bigger quarterback for that, right? Because you're going to have to absorb some contact. Say you don't read it right, or they overload that side. You, you don't check out of it when you, you know, maybe don't see a blitz coming for that side, or whatever the case may be, and you do take a big hit. Well, that is going to be more detrimental for someone standing right about six feet than a Brock Landis, who's, what, 6'4 and 220 or whatever, like prototypical quarterback size. So it sounded so much. He didn't really talk about Brock throwing the ball. He talked more about, hey, great reads in that zone read game that we that we played. And you had Sailors. You had Holmes. You knew what to do in those situations. It was just so interesting because you, I don't think that when you look at how things have unfolded with ETSU's quarterback situation, that would be the first thing that comes to mind. But – Obviously, there's one head coach of this program, and he knows what ETSU needed to do. They did it. They executed it well, and Brock Landis did his thing. Maybe some of it was the fact that right now we're keeping it limited for Brock because we see that there are some holes in his game. There are some flaws that we got to work on before we can trust him to not make the big mistake, right? Because really it was special teams' mistakes that kept Western Carolina around. He had the Keltner missed field goal. Now, that's 49 yards, so that's, that's tough, right? And even Coach Sanders said, you're going to miss something there. Chandler Mullins, though, the bad snap. Garrett Taylor couldn't put it down. That was going to be a game sealer and really, truly showed that we will never beat a team by more than one score. I mean, goodness. It was incredible. But special teams, did they you don't need that on the offensive side, too, right? Because if you start making big mistakes with multiple units, then that can compound, and you can be in real trouble and lose a game like this. Thankfully, they didn't. The special teams was interesting because it was such an ebb and flow. You had 
the mistake, right, of the field to punt early. I think uh, Holmes chose to bring the ball going backwards when he caught it five yards deep in the end zone, didn't get to the 20. It was like the 17. Um, the 48-yard field goal was interesting because enough leg, it started right and was trying to hook back in, just didn't hook enough. But I think he showed Coach Sanders that he had a lively leg that day that led to the next possession, the 54-yard field goal attempt and the new school record. Then in the second half, ETSU just filled position West Carolina to death. They downed the ball at the one. They downed it at the 15. Um, they they uh, on a kick return, they were able to tackle them around the nine or ten or whatever that was. So one fifteen six and twenty eight were the starting points for Western Carolina. Yeah. So you're just it was spectacular to watch that part of it, and then everything got rocking and rolling. You're like, oh, special teams, you know, after a rough start, maybe they got it going, and then the you know the low snap, and it did kind of hit and roll to Taylor. Taylor kind of got it, and to be honest, I, I thought he still had a chance to maybe put it down, but that's a situation where I think we've had such good snaps in the last two years. I hadn't really had to have one of those live fire type deals. And then the only thing we got to teach uh, Taylor to do is don't run backwards 15 yards. Just just chunk it out about. Just take the grounding penalty or whatever it is, f- move five and, and move about your day. But don't run back 15 yards. Do not throw the ball to then, uh, you know, instead of them getting the ball at 25, give them at the 40 or whatever. Other than that, um, it, it was it was odd because there were really big plays in the special team game, and it was also big mistakes again in the special team game. So uh, that's one thing I, I feel like so far there hasn't been. Last year there were two or three teams. Obviously when you played Furman and Grayson Atkins and some of those, like they, they just had some special team guys that were ridiculous. And you're like, you know, that guy's an All-American. And, you know, there's a couple others um, last year that had solid years. And you're like, all right. But this year I feel like almost at every position, our kick returners I feel like are, if, if not the two best, they're, they're right up there. I feel like our punt return, Elijah Huzzy's got a chance to be one of the best. You know, maybe him and Washington of Sanford. Um, and then other than that, you know, I, I think uh, Taylor's had his moments. Certainly Kelter career. Uh, school record, 54 yarders, shows what he can do. I still think he's one of the more reliable kickers in the league. Um, so I, I feel like it's there. There's just a few. Uh, any tissue got hit with the illegal wedge penalty, which was. I hadn't heard that one before. I know. I, I knew they changed the rule, and I wasn't quite sure exactly what the rule is, other than you can't really form the old school wedge anymore. Yeah. But I have not seen anybody get called for that or whatever that was. So there's still some penalties in the kick game. Obviously, Huzzy's going to be a, the, the freshman riverboat gambler. You have to hold your breath. He's filled with some punts that he's been thankful to hang on to. He's certainly um, lost a ball lately that uh, he shouldn't have. And then, you know, Holmes and Sailors, they just believe they're going to take it to the house every time they get the chance to kick return. So, uh, I think they still got to clean up some stuff on the special teams. I felt like defensively kept getting a little bit guys. I, it didn't look like other than maybe I think it was Javion Hurd that had to be really helped off the field. Other than that, I felt like there were some injuries that, you know, I don't know how bad Wilson and Hurd were. That would be my two concerns when I asked Coach Sanders on Wednesday. But all the other ones, I, I kind of feel like, you know, they kind of slipped a little funny, kind of did some things. I kind of feel like n- nobody, and again, I, I could be way off base here, but I, I kind of feel like there won't be a whole lot out of that. There were guys that, you know, came out for a play or two and then came back in. Folks did that. Tyree Robinson did that. Um, we saw Sailors towards the end of the game sort of limp off a little bit, you know. So we'll, we'll see how each issue becomes um, unscathed. But, again, the depth of the defense showed again because when a few of those guys went out, 
defense was able to make a play. I mean, Kamen Cody, who had been uh, really the third-string nose guard at one point, has climbed all the way to being the starter, and he made a huge sack in that game as well. So uh, the only thing I, I think defensively is there was one or two, I don't want to call them lapses, up there, almost slips where guys on big pass plays, you know, maybe it was wet turf, maybe it was out of position where it was, but kind of slipped and, and couldn't quite get uh, the guy on the ground. They were able to turn what maybe a 6, 70 yard, maybe a few yards short of the first down into 15, 20 yard first downs to keep the chains moving. Um, so it was a little bit there, but the secondary is going to have to be on its A game coming up this week. Um, but that can be helped by if the defensive line's healthy, if Pinkleton's back, if, if um, Javion Hurd can go. Certainly if Donovan Manuel's back, because he gives you yet another blitzer. But I, they're going to have to either try to get to the freshman, Seth Morgan, who can certainly show he can run. Again, I know Reese Udinsky is listed as questionable for the game, game time decision. Uh, other reports have said torn ACL, not going to go. So yeah. that, that seems – I don't know which one's gamesmanship and, and which one's uh, uh, the truth. But either way, uh, the, the defense, if they can get just a couple of guys back, I think it's going to be very important because they're going to have to rotate some of it. You hope it's not the torn ACL. But all signs point to that. And Seth Morgan's not going to be easy to deal with. I mean, 375, four scores through the air, and then 76 yards on the ground. Uh, everybody has so many good things to say about Yudinski, and you hope it doesn't affect his future either because that's horrible um, that he went down the way he did. Um, and if it is a serious – maybe he's got some Byron Leftwich in him, you know. I mean, he, Byron Leftwich broke his leg. I was watching the video while you were talking about it last week, and he's carried up the field. Maybe he does have a torn ACL. He's going to play anyway. Maybe this guy is that tough. I don't know. A couple of things on Western Carolina before we go because I know that we do have to go. So that starting field position, as you said, just field position to death in the second half. The 12-yard line for Western Carolina in the second half. For ETSU, the 46. It's almost right around midfield. That's a massive gap. Um, if you would have told me that Donovan Spencer would have touched the ball 15 times, I would have said that he probably got Reese like some severe leg injury where – Can I ask a question about that too? What? So the first part of the game they threw, and then they pretty much didn't throw any in the second half and just handed off to Spencer. Did that confuse you at all? Because game plan going in, me and you would have thought Spencer's going to get a lot of touches. 30 touches. And he's going to be hard to deal with. And then he really got touches when they were at the 1-15. Yeah. And, and you kind of knew that they weren't going to throw the ball from there. It was like the op opposite world game plan. They it went pass-heavy first, first half. half, and then he went almost completely. And, again, I realize field position does play heavy into that. They didn't trust Glover enough to throw out of the own end zone again. I don't know that ETSU would trust any of their quarterbacks to throw out of the end zone right now either, so I'm not knocking Glover. I'm just saying I thought it was very confusing that Spencer was so much not of the game plan until second half when they had terrible field position. So I just didn't know if that confused you. That confused me because at one time I thought, okay, well, they're using them as decoys or throwing you know, down the field, and then that got them 17-7 lead, and then they never really got back to that. They really, for the first, like, 20 minutes, were throwing it, and they were having tons of success, right? And then in that drive, midway through the second quarter, you had four straight rushes, and then your final play on the drive was Ryan Glover rush. He, he kept it a number of times, and then Ty Stanley was the one that was getting the touches there. Donovan Spencer's a really talented back. I loved what Western Carolina did early, and it got him 17 points. So the fact that – I guess here's what surprised me. It was throwing it first, and then in the second half is more what I expected their game plan to be.
but when you're throwing with that much success, and clearly the first half game plan was better than the second half game plan, like they knew what they were doing, right? But then when you get to the second half, and Ryan Glover is in kind of a rhythm, you know, what, started 13 to 16, his last eight throws, he only completed one of them, did they take him out of the rhythm? Well, did they get in his way by the fact they didn't just let him keep doing what he was doing? I mean, he finished the first half, well, him and the, obviously the uh, Davis, Davis yeah. the, the one pass, right. but West Carolina passing, let's just do that. 12 of 15, two touchdowns. They only go three of nine right. in, in the second half, and I just that that was sort. And again, I I do I do believe it had to do with field position, and they didn't trust him throwing out of the end zone. But I just had a it was just interesting that they had all that success, and then never really tried to duplicate it. Seemed like they threw out of necessity on third downs in the second half, then maybe trying to catch ETSU off guard with the first second. I don't know. Maybe that was the game plan. Was Hey, if we throw it and have the success, there's no way they're going to be expecting us to come back with – I don't know. I would almost like to ask Coach Spear, was that sort of the game plan? I'm sure he won't tell me, but I was. I would like to know what that theory was. And maybe they saw up front that ETSU was getting thinner and thinner. Well, and that too. Like, okay, well, maybe we – Got to have success. Uh, last one for me. What did you think was more impressive that day? The running the ball from ETSU, the 54-yard field goal from Keltner, school record, or Mother Nature absolutely the destroyed. I, I was hoping you were going to say that. Three minutes of the broadcast. The, the hailstorm that was eight minutes long that made national news that covered the field, that there's plenty of videos out there. And it was incredible. I don't know that 1130 I've ever seen it get pitch black, nighttime dark. And then the field looked like it got snowed on because it was such big – uh, quarter size golf ball size hail that had dropped on the field and everything and then if the second rain wouldn't have come and you know and kind of washed it away well, I mean I think it was going to go away easily because it was like still 50 degrees and then to see the carnage from the folks that were tailgating and the tents were gone and see the tents flying and hitting vehicles and everything else that's again out there on all the social media sites that you can find I, I thought mother nature uh, is going to be my first I think Keltner's school record is Probably two, just because Randy Sanders refuses to kick a 50-yard field goal ever. Although it was it was at the end of the half, and he does say it didn't happen in the game, so he'll do it. But I still thought there was too much time for him to kick it at that point. Uh, and then three, just because I expected those right. guys to have a big day. So that would Fair be enough. my one, two, three. Yeah. All right, let's go portal watch. Portal watch. Ah, there's some good stuff going Woo. on there. We'll step aside for a timeout. Santa sidekick on the Wagoner Sports Network. This responsible gaming message is brought to you by the Tennessee Lottery. When you play the lottery, it's important to play responsibly. Know your limit and spend only what you can afford. Set a budget and stick to it. And remember, as long as you're having fun, you're always a winner in our book. The Tennessee Lottery is a proud supporter of National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. To learn more about problem gambling resources, visit tnlottery.com. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I, just wa- watch. I don't know what you're going to start with, but I'm excited. A thousand, a thousand, a thousand. 
I was going to do it every time you did. A thousand people. It is. One thousand. One over one thousand. I've entered the portal. The record was last year, and wasn't it like just a hair over 1,100? We're going to rocket past that. One thousand. It's insane. Well, and there's still more coaching changes. I like to shock smart, beat Texas to the punch, went ahead and beat him, right? Right? Did he leave before he got fired? Wasn't that the deal? Yeah. He took the Marquette right for Yeah, smart, smart. Taking that job for you. Think he would have gotten fired? fired? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do. you want to talk about uh, since this news just broke like 10 minutes ago? Yeah, uh, while we went on air, Greg Heyer, assist uh, coach, ETSU, is on assist coach at ETSU, is now the new Northwest Florida Raiders head coach. Now, he was at Chipotle uh, for a long time, uh, junior college coach, then went to uh, Wichita, Wichita State. Where him and Stephen Lowell Forbes, you may know that guy, uh, coach together, uh, and all those connections. And so, Coach Hire Friday supposed to go uh, have a few beverages with him, and he called me and said, "Nah, I got this new thing. I, I got to go out of town real quickly." <laughs> and so, I thought something was up because he can't recruit, right? I mean, or at least legally, you know, you can't go recruit. And so, I was going, well, I, don't, I don't know, maybe family thing. And then uh, got word last night this is probably going to happen. And then obviously today, I just announced on Twitter. So, congratulations. Uh, Coach Hire, who was only here one year, who I enjoyed. Yeah. So, so you there you go. There's our breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. Sure. Uh, remember when we talked about what's going on in Ohio last week with Xavier and Cincinnati? Yes. Well, we found out with Cincinnati, didn't we? Looks like an investigation into their men's basketball program, possible violations, so on and so forth. Did, uh, I, I believe, if you roll the tape back, I might have sort of been critical of the head guy at Cincinnati, so now this is shocking. I don't doubt that. Let's look at some new happenings around the Southern Conference. Um, head scratching over here, Greg Parham to South Alabama. When he went in the portal, I think you and me, of course we're talking VMI now, we're thinking that he would be a probably fringe power five guy, probably more like group of five. Um, I thought a group of five would have been very fair. Who's the guy that went to, is it Rice, where he's averaging like 17 points a game? Oh, easily, Kevin Easley. No, no, not VMI. No, no, at TCU? TC, no, not TCU. There's a guy that went to Rice that's averaging like 17 a game that went to VMI. I'll look it up. But point being, uh, I think that this is a little low for mm. a Greg Parham. What about thinking TCU? Oh, that was Kevin Easley from Chattanooga went to uh, Correct. I'll look TCU. it up. You, uh, you speculate about Greg Parham. Yeah, I, I thought for sure. I mean, Bubba Parham, who I think Greg probably was better than, he went to Georgia Tech. So I think Greg. And has done quite well. Yeah, he's doing okay numbers. I, th- I think uh, I got uh, Evie. Travis Evie. Travis He's averaging like 17 a game. Oh, is he? Yeah, no, he's legit. Oh, there you go. So, um, yeah, I think I would have had him for sure one of the group of fives, like no doubt. Um, kind of booked for that. Uh, South Alabama, you know, there's been more people leave South Alabama than I believe have transferred to South Alabama, so that is – I don't. I don't remember what Greg's from. Maybe. Maybe there's a. Maybe near. I don't know. Maybe hometown or something comes into play there. But that is a, an interesting. Um, I was shocked. Uh, probably out of all the ones you're going to read, and he's actually from Richmond, Virginia. So yeah, that didn't have a tie there. So I don't. I don't. Out of out of SoCon people so far that have decided to go somewhere else, I think that right now is the shocker in the clubhouse. I thought he could have been a higher level. I mean, I just don't. I don't get it. Like he was better than Evie. I thought. Yes, I agree. So, like, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, so there's that. Also, Miles Lewis, who I loved as maybe a low end group of five guy, maybe just a more successful high mid major program. 
McNeese State? I mean, Lewis seemed like a glue, do everything right in the corner. I mean, there just could be some stigma at VMI. I mean, it could be some VMI. um, You know, and VMI is interesting. They've had guys leave. Um, They actually had the nation's leading score many, many years ago. And he ended up transferring to Missouri and then went into oblivion. No, nobody ever heard from him again. But he was averaging – he led SoCon in scoring like 28 points a game, just some crazy number. I also do wonder if this is a sign that there are just not a lot of spots. Or not a lot of scholars left exactly, places. Exactly, power fives. And if the free transfer rules, some of the power fives are going, you know, I don't need right. a guy that's already graduated. Right. I can get a sophomore. Could yeah. be. Uh, Trey can fall still out there from VMI. He has not committed anywhere yet. But Parham to South Alabama, Miles Lewis to McNeese State. Furman. Oh, we got a big one. Oh, it's a man. big one. Oh. They were the last team in the Southern Conference. Now somebody checked on SoCon John. Is SoCon John okay? I noticed that SoCon John, who tweets uh, maniacally uh, most days, uh, retweeted the news about Noah Gurley, who is now in the portal, the first Furman Paladin to go into the portal this year, the last team that didn't have someone in the portal but no more. He retweeted the news, and about 18 hours later was his next tweet, so I can only imagine what happened in those 18 hours. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm very, very shocked because – for, for the most part, if you're a starter at Furman and Wofford, and unless you're a grad transfer, which has happened, you know, it was very odd when Kiva Lume left because that's just not usually what happens. But I get it. Mike Young left. He went with Mike Young. I, I, I get that. But that generally there's not guys starting-wise that don't graduate that leave Furman and Wofford. Backups that don't play, sure. They leave. It happens. I get it. But there's, there's not really been – you know, I guess Kiva Lume is probably – and technically I think he was the backup because he backed up Cam Jackson. I don't even think he started. So he was technically a backup that transferred. If I can, it's worked if, out pretty well for so him. So it's been fine for him. But I, I guess if I could just – Gurley's the, the first starter I can remember at one of those two schools that didn't grad transfer because you're going to get Storm Murphy's grad transfer, you get Hollowell's. But, but even so, in just this world of the, of the freebie, those two guys wouldn't be playing if it wasn't a free year, right? Gurley – Right was a junior. I mean, he could have came back and played again for Furman while he graduated. So very shocked, uh, Noah Gurley in the portal, and because of his size and length, I think he does have a shot to go at a uh, higher level than what we've seen a few of the other guys. Do you think that we are partially responsible because we basically ripped everybody on Furman and said no one's a first teamer in the Southern Conference or all second teamers at best? I think we are partially culpable. Well. I mean, SoCon John had him as the first teamer, and then we we argued against that, and then. and, and now he's mad at the entire SoCon. Yeah, it could be us. I mean, I, and, and if so, I, I do apologize to Furman. I, I, there was no way was I trying to run off Noah Gurley from the Southern Conference or to not play him again against Furman. I know there's plenty of people. Hurt, there are plenty of people <laughs> celebrating the fact they won't see Noah Gurley anymore. I, for one, that was not my game plan uh, for Noah Gurley to leave Furman. Allegedly. Someone check to see if I still had a brain. ETSU. Marcus Nyblack. Yep. You foreshadowed this for – been months. <laughs> it was certainly weeks when you saw Truth Harris go in the portal, Paul Smith go in the portal, a couple of expected-ish type moves, and then Marcus Nyblack uh, just, again, reading the cards, not necessarily in communication with anybody within, within the program, but you see how the year went, probably didn't unfold how he was imagining, and he's going to Tallahassee Community. Yep, very good. Time to reload. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Old uh, TCC, I've been down there, been near the campus, so... Uh, spent some time in Leon uh, County, which is in Tallahassee, and um, it has produced plenty of major Division One talents. And I know for Night Black, it was an interesting 
year because he had committed, right? Sign, not signed, but committed. He was going to go to Ole Miss. Ole Miss oversigned. Hey, by the way, we don't really need you. He was kind of flapping the wind. ETSU took him. Then things, the mid-year had a personal issue, had to step away from the team. Got that solved. Came back in. It wasn't anything he did against the law or anything. I still have questions about that. And did it have to deal with that? No. The kid did nothing wrong in that regard. Anything like that. He was welcome back on the team. Was never in any trouble. This, that, and other. And so it was a tumultuous year for him. I like Marcus when I got a chance to uh, talk with him. He's a very tough kid. Um, very emotional. Remember he got asked to leave a game at one point in time in uh, this season. Was it UAB? Well, he got ejected from, right? To be fair, other guys should have gotten ejected too. I, I to- totally agree. the game winning three. To- totally agree. Uh, but it was a tumultuous year for him. I think it's a good reset button, but it's also going to be a quick reset button because he can immediately go play somewhere else. So, um, I got the other two guys. He was one I, I, I kind of just felt like the demeanor was there, but in the same token, you thought maybe you'd lose the three de facto point guards you had brought in, even though we realized Truth Harris wasn't a point guard. But then you get news. I don't know if you're covering it. You get that's perfect. Right into it. Okay. Sounds like he's back. He, I, he, the term "run it back" run would, it back. would lead me to believe that David Sloan. So the Bucks didn't lose their three point guards that were listed on the roster last year. They lose two. They return uh, David Sloan, and then yesterday another one. Correct. Oh, did I see another one yesterday? I didn't see that one. What was it? Ishmo Valdez, uh, yes, old ish. Mr. Yeah. Energy, if you paid attention to uh, the guy on the sideline, the big, I don't know, six nine six ten guy that was uh, providing a lot of the um, enthusiasm and getting the guys up and picking guys off the floor and throwing them back in the defensive end, that was uh, Ish Valdez. And so, although he didn't play last year, I think he's trying to get some of his academic things in order, but uh, he has entered the portal as well. Important cog just in terms of togetherness and energy and things of that you have to have you have to have those guys i mean that was one thing that you know jordan coffin i think that'll be missed too like when uh, when he graduates and now he's again he's got a free year even as a walk-on if he wants to go play now he may have to go play a lower division or something but even if you want to go play i believe he's allowed to go play again but you know if you lose coffin and ish i mean that's a lot of rah-rah guys that i think you need to have on your squad so but uh like Dish, too. I got a chance to talk to him. Uh, very funny kid, nice kid. So, I uh, hope he gets a chance to find somewhere where he could play again. Uh, watching him play a little bit, I, I'm, I wasn't convinced he was going to be able to play at this level. Uh, but a good kid, great energy guy. I think he will be missed. Uh, most importantly, I think he'll be missed by his teammates. So, uh, hate to see that. But, again, he want to go play. I get that. You don't so, play for the wind sprints. No. You don't play for the That's wings, right. Like Sanders said. Uh, Chattanooga Prosper, Obedee Doobie, still in the portal. Trey Dooms. Oh, it's Dooms. Yeah, he's I can see that. Because he, he did the uh, mid-year opt-outs, right? I believe he did, yes. Yes. After, nine, after, after Baptiste came back, he opted like out. So one opted in, one opted out. I believe it was Dooms opted out. So. Western Carolina. Matt Halverson headed to Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City, where that man will not be doing any dunking because I'm not sure it's physically possible. But he's a good shooter that will join FCU. Well, I mean, if there was a slap the backboard maybe uh, on a layup, I don't know. I don't know if he can do that. Um, I will say this. It is vi- having been on that campus, and I don't know when his brother Todd played at ETSU if he ever went down there, but it is very easy to see. When you walk out of a dorm and put your feet on sand and there is a man-made lake on campus wow. and it's 80 degrees every day, it is hard to see. And Alico Arena is not 
terrible if they would ever just paint the thing inside. It would be much better, but it's not a bad spot. Um, he's certainly probably going to be allowed to shoot a lot, which is probably what he was looking for. And so I think uh, I 100% see why he went there, and to me that's about where he should have landed. Is he Faulkner going anywhere? Yep. I don't think he's going I, I did. Looks like he's still uh, in the portal. Same with Tyler Harris and Travion McRae. Western Carolina does get someone in Division II transfer, Cameron Whiteside, who averaged 21 points per game, led the South Atlantic Conference in scoring, statistical champion in that conference, also grabbed seven boards per game, which was fifth in the conference and was second in the sack and steals with 57. So it does a little bit of everything, goes from D2 to D1. That'll be interesting to see, again, how things translate and such from that level where you put up huge numbers to the Southern Conference, which is one of the better, if not the best, mid-major conferences in the country. So Western Carolina, a little bit of activity on both sides. Wofford, unchanged. Storm Murphy, Virginia Tech, we covered that. Trey Hollowell and Zion Richardson remain out there. Still only Michael Hewitt, Jr. for UNCG. Mercer, Mitch Prendergast still available. Sanford, Preston Parks, Christian Guest, Myron Gordon, Jalen Dupree, K.J. Davis, Luke Champion. And now we go to the second part of our portal watch, which, of course, is... Who is or is not coming to the Southern Conference? Do you think Walker Kessler is going to come to the Southern Conference? I said no. Seven foot one, two forty-five. I don't know if you're. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. No, I'm just. I'm, hold on. I'm just imagining. Him. I'm just imagining. Come on, come on. Tell me yes, Sandos. No. Nine minutes per game, four points per game, three rebounds per game. Uh, there is a flood of North Carolina big men that are leaving. Of course, De'Aaron Sharp is entering the draft. He was like what six ten, like two fifty, uh, and then. Sterling Manley is also in the portal at 6'11", 250, joining the 7'1", 245-pound North Carolina center walker, Kessler. Okay, a couple that may come to the Southern Conference. Do you remember Jordan Adams? 2020 OVC Freshman of the Year at Austin P. Yep. Saw his points cut in half this past year. Shooting percentage dropped 10 points. Three-point percentage down 7 points. Thinking he might be looking for a bounce back at a similar institution. Things seem to go pretty well at Austin P. Now, I know people are probably saying, well, would you want a guy who was so bad this last year? He still averaged like 10 points per game, and yes, the percentages were down, but it's the old saying. If you see it, it's repeatable. And if he averages 18 points per game his freshman year, it seems to me like he probably just needs a change of scenery, and he could be back on the scene. Yes. Yes. And would be a huge fan. Yes, he would. Yes. yes. Jordan Adams. Austin P. 2020. As long as he comes to the Bucks, I don't see him in any other Southern Conference. Go anywhere. I go to Western Carolina. That's right. Boy Cameron Whiteside, Devontae Adams, or Devontae Devontae Adams. Yes, Devontae Adams. Yeah, Devontae the Adams. Are He's in. got eligibility. Devontae Gaines of Tennessee at six foot yep. seven, one eighty one. Drew Pember at six foot ten, one ninety. Also of Tennessee. Both sophomores. Both seldomly used subs. Both with stats in the neighborhood of a guy that it looked like was going to come to ETSU before he departed with Steve Forbes. Uh, Jalen Johnson. Johnson. Those stats, pretty similar. Jalen Johnson ended up never playing here, of course, but again, he was, it seemed like, I guess the ink wasn't dried yet, but it seemed like he was in line to come to, it was reported that he was going to come to ETSU. Uh, is that a little bit of a move east, something you could see enticing Devontae Gaines or Drew well, Pember, and not only at ETSU, perhaps Southern Conference School that is not even six. I was going to say, Rick Barnes does have a really good relationship with, uh, not just with Steve Forbes when he was here, but Jason Shea as well. And so I know some of the assistant coaches, Coach Shea, know each other very well as well. Um, him and Rick Barnes have talked a lot. So, yes, there is a legitimate um, shot that I think uh, you could get one of those two guys. By the way, Jalen Johnson, uh, when you're standing at Wake Forest, will be looking for another home again. He in the portal? He is in the portal. All right. Uh, I usually like to pick out a seven-footer to put in this space, as you very well know. Right now there's 13 seven-footers in the portal. 
they're either Walker Kessler or probably not good enough to get attention in the SoCon. The one that I think is a possibility, Asane Dute from Fresno State at 7'2", 275 pounds. Hurdle watch, Asane Dute, 7'2", 275. That is a massive human being, 7'2", and 275 pounds in the Southern Conference at 7'2", 275. Only reason I think that it's possible is because he was in the Mountain West before and put up very little to no stats. He is the largest human you've ever seen. And uh, and weight, too. He is the largest all the way around. Um, so probably not coming to the Southern Conference. I don't, it's going to be tough. He's so big. I don't I don't think. And my guess is Fresno State, he'll probably he'll land somewhere out west. And I could see him in the, um, uh, he's somewhere out west. Whether it's Big Sky, something like that, or Summit League. I, don't, I think maybe the furthest east he'll get is Texas somewhere, but I don't think he's coming all the way to the East Coast. Uh, I want this guy in the Southern Conference just because his name is fantastic. Isaiah Forbear Chandler. Wichita State, 6'9", 250. Shoots it at a high percentage from the field and outside, but hasn't ever played very extensively. Formerly a four-star guy, number three recruit in the state of Nebraska. Stats are pretty negligible, especially coming into this past year where he was out on the floor a little bit more, but I think ended up putting up like 45 shots maybe on the season. So that, that should tell you he was playing like five to eight minutes per game. Isaiah Poor Bear Chandler would definitely be the best name in the SOCOM, but at 6'9", 250, he could be a heck of a player as well. Uh, no, I agree with that. I think uh, we've had – there's been several guys in that six – the sweet spot seemed to be Southern Conference, I think, for big guys are between – Six, seven six, to 6'9". Six, six, <laughs> That's it. You know – Maybe six ten, but six—that's about the where you land. And so I feel like yes, that falls in there. I think unfortunately, anytime, and I know you love to find the biggest guy uh, in there huge. at the seven back. foot or whatever. But yes, I, I'm going to go with um, that. We have a shot. I think that is going that six nine. We got a shot. They're six eleven, seven foot, seven I think, two, I, I think no seven shot. two, two seventy five. I don't think so. Uh, Six programs with the – this is a new piece of the portal watch. The six programs with the most players in the portal within their program, UT Martin, 15. Portland, 10. Jacksonville, 10. North Carolina Central, 9. Green Bay, 9. George Mason, 9. Include that because it can give people a little bit of a gauge for what to expect next year for these programs. Might be kind of disjointed. Tennessee Tech, I think – or or UT Martin just Just hired a new coach. coach. Got the new head coach from Bethune-Cookman. Yeah, Yeah. Ritter. Um, So they got a new one – Tennessee State's got on there too. Our, our good buddy Penny Collins is having people dropping like flies. Uh, there's always uh, you can usually tell by the number of people in when the coaching change goes. Now it doesn't mean everybody stays in, right? Everybody has a chance to take their name back out until they see what happens and all that fun stuff. But yes, those those teams are probably going to struggle next year. I say that, and you know, ETSU has had their fair share of eight or ten guys that have gone. Um, I would like to bring up you skipped a guy. And, and I don't know why you did. Ooh. Well, I couldn't name all 1,036 people in the portal. Okay, well, Darnell Rogers okay. is five foot two inches. Oh, is he like the little guy? He is. Okay. He's 150 pound from, originally from Baltimore, Maryland, right? Went to Indian uh, Land High School. Then he went to New Mexico Junior College. Played last year, averaged 14 points a game for UMBC. At five foot two? At five foot two, averaged 14 wow. points at UMBC. Shot 42% from three. He actually averaged three and a half rebounds. And over four assists. What a stud. Where's Re- he landing? Rebound per inch. He would have to lead the conference. <laughs> yes, uh, that's probably fair. Five foot two and 14 points a game. Well, In terms of skill, there is no one that could match the man. That is incredible. I'm just saying. So, Southern Conference would be a perfect home. 
I mean, there's a lot of guys. You know, I, I thrive in the, uh, as, you, as you gave me the 5, 6, or actually, you know, he's 5, 9 or whatever it was last time when you are giving me one of the, yeah. the Iowa State, right? So, uh, the conference really, really loves, you know, if they could get a 6, 4, 6, 3, that's, that's probably it. But uh, you, have, you get the 5, 6, 5, 2, 5, 9 guy. Could be a difference Can maker. Can we get your guy that's five foot two and my guy that's seven foot two on the same court in the Southern Conference? Please. And and the photo op would be Please. tremendous. Oh. By the way, on your point about coaching changes, Portland, the team with ten in the portal, second most, just went through a coaching change themselves. You may have missed Eastern Washington as they were in the tournament. Their coach Shante Leggins goes to Portland. While Terry Porter, who was one of my favorite former Minnesota Timberwolves shooters that had like an eighteen year career, who was there for five years and won like forty of his one hundred and seventy games as a coach, no longer. All right, hit, hit, uh, hit the uh, hit it, hit did you, it, no, 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 hit the, yeah. right, got one more for you. Coaching rumors, coaching oh, rumors, oh, portal oh, watch, oh, right, oh, right, right, right. Oh, I love West Miller. Is it West Miller? It is not West oh, Miller. Okay. Winthrop, have you heard some of the names? I'll, g- I'll give you two. There are uh, several names, but I'll give you two of the four or five I heard that have been rumored for the Winthrop job. Mark Prosser, former assistant. Former assistant at Winthrop, yeah, Mark Prosser. What has he done at Western, especially after this past year, to go and be able to move to a school that just won 23 of their 24 games in the regular season? I, don't, I, don't I believe it's that. Desmond Oliver, the uh, one of the lead assistants for Rick Barnes at Tennessee, and then uh, my personal favorite, B.J. Mackey, Whoa, Lake hey, Forest. There we go. So now there's three, the three of the program. five yeah. names I've heard. I'm uh, familiar with three of those guys. But, yes, Mark Prosser uh, scoffed when I just went by his name and went to other yes. people. Yes, Mackey would be great. So, all right, that's all I got. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. The Warriors' Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. Houston loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6. Penn State. This is a lifeless organization. Wake Forest basketball has got its man. It's new coach Steve Forbes from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. Southern Conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. 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 Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two subs and a brownie to watch it down. Just disgusting. Just disgusting. Hey, this just in. Whoa! 11 minutes ago, I've got a new guy to be considered. Transfer from Syracuse. Tell me he's like 4 Caddy Richmond. He has 65180 from New York. But 18 seconds ago, from Wisconsin, a 7-footer right up your alley from Minnesota. Hopkins. I know you know somebody there. Let's get it done. Seven-footer Joseph Hedstrom. There have been some tremendous players. That have yeah, we'll get him in SoCon. Okay. All right. Bold predictions. Over. Let's just uh, go right through. Yep. This okay. I don't yep. want to talk about it at all. Mercer over Chattanooga. You got it. Boom. Now I think you had inside info because Randy Sanders said he knew that Mercer was going to win that game. Can, can I tell you that Chattanooga? The line went from two and a half to fourteen and a half day of. What people did not get that memo. Yeah, that is strange. Nobody got that memo, but apparently. Randy Sanders. Well, you as well with your bold prediction. Of course I did. You get that. Five-player score TD for ECS. You did not get that. Syracuse in the Final Four didn't get that. Nope. I didn't get anything. Uh, I do have one that's still pending. Only three lower seeds losing – or, sorry, three lower seeds winning 
and the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. I haven't added it up yet, but we can figure that out on Thursday. If I don't get that one, it's pretty much over for me because you would be up by four. You're up by four right now, pending that result. Hate it. Boom. Both predictions abolished. All right, Thursday. Why don't we set up the game? Maybe we have a good Friday off. On the Buccaneers. Boys.